You are listening to America's home for stadium news and information. Stadiums USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. As Cub Fever subsides, Yankee Stadium renovations begin. The goal is a more fan-friendly ballpark. New York freelance sports writer Jason Klinkscales joins us with the plan for improving the legendary home of the Yankees. It's a big election day Tuesday and stadiums are on the ballot. Citizens of San Diego and Arlington, Texas will vote on ballot initiatives supporting new stadiums. We'll visit with Neil DeMoss of the Field of Schemes, who presents his pre-election day analysis. When there's a need to capture the excitement of NHL hockey, Paul McCann can and does. As the PA voice of the Nashville Predators, you'll meet him. And we'll talk shop about the Big Ten's decision to launch their own version of Friday Night Lights. First, the stadium's beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, a small army of volunteers are canvassing San Diego neighborhoods, persuading people to vote on Tuesday's stadium ballot measure. The volunteers are armed with a special smartphone app that targets households of likely stadium supporters. Members of Chargers fan groups are also going door-to-door, encouraging residents to vote yes on Measure C, which calls for raising San Diego's hotel tax to pay for a combined stadium and convention center. Some say even if the stadium vote fails to get the required two-thirds majority, Chargers owner Dean Spanos could look at alternatives to keep the team in San Diego. He spoke with Fox San Diego. I'm really looking at the support we're going to get or not get. So, and I've said this before, uh, you know, if we get 30 or 35% voter approval, that will tell me something. If we get 55 to 60%, that's pretty compelling. That will tell me something else. But until Tuesday comes and we see the actual vote, uh, there is no plan B. There's no second strategy here in terms of if I get 50 plus one, this is what I'm going to do. I want to wait and see what the outcome is, and then I'm going to take my time afterwards to decide what I want to do. Spanos continues to say even though he'd make more money by joining Stan Kroenke in Los Angeles, he prefers to keep the team in San Diego. A new redevelopment project could save the former home of the Portland Trailblazers. The plan would transform the Veterans Memorial Coliseum into a music venue and feature mixed-use redevelopment. City officials have struggled for a number of years to figure out just what to do with the old NBA arena. The Blazers enjoyed a true home court advantage at the venue, which they called home from 1970 through 1995. Renovations have been put on hold at Jordan-Hare Stadium on the campus of Auburn University. The $140 million makeover will be pushed back until at least 2018. The renovations will include concourse expansion, club seating, and a new video scoreboard. And the city of Atlanta and the NBA's Hawks have agreed to a new deal that will bring major renovations to Phillips Arena. The $192 million project is intended to coincide with the opening of the Falcons' new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is being built just blocks away. Some of the funding for the arena upgrades will come from the sale of Turner Field, the former home of the Braves. That venue will soon be the new home of Georgia State football. Much happening on the stadium front in Atlanta. 
Bill, that's the very latest. Okay, Jeff, thank you. Interesting news from Yankee Stadium. Major renovations for this ballpark are in line and an interesting focus, too. That's not about increasing attendance. It's not about increasing revenues all that much. It's about making the park more fan-friendly. We're going to talk about that with Jason Klingscales. You've heard him before, and we certainly are happy to have him back. He's a freelance writer in New York City. He works with Fox Sports Digital, and you can also check him out on the Sports Fan Journal. Jason, you're keeping an eye on this. I know how much you love this park, and we all love it. It's a magnificent facility. Let's start from scratch. What's going to be going on with the renovations now? Well, Yankee Stadium, they're looking into making it more family-friendly, which is funny. You go around ballparks around the country, and you see a lot of these larger plazas for children to play. They can do their own baseball simulations, different sorts of things, right? Uh, Yankee Stadium hasn't had that before. Um, the previous stadium didn't have that. The original stadium didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this stadium, when they built it, didn't have that. So um, the Yankees had announced uh, about a week ago that they're going to make some enhancements to sort of make things a little bit more um, family-friendly. Um, adding some games for the kids, but they're also going to enhance some of the social aspects of the park. Um, they actually just got started in the renovations, I believe, this past week, and they're trying to get the renovations ready for the 2017 season. So uh, it's be very interesting to see how this all comes out. Um, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, I imagine that a lot of families are hoping to sort of take advantage of themselves as well. A new experience for full families. You know, uh, one of the parks where I saw some of this done actually was the old Comiskey Park here, or the new park, if you will. When Mm -hmm. that ballpark was built, in many ways it was similar to Yankee Stadium. A lot of concrete, kind of bare bones a little. And somebody got the idea to do exactly what you're talking about. And I must say, what I've seen here, it's a great idea. You know, it's, it's interesting. You would think that the Yankees have, because of their history and because of the large fan base they have, that they've always had something that was sort of amiable for um, young children and you know uh, families. But they never had. Um, one thing that they're actually introducing is called the Sun Run Kids Clubhouse. And it is going to be a sort of small baseball field, if you will. It, it's shaped like a normal baseball field. Mm. And it's going to have a soft artificial surface. Um, it's going to have a lot of like the theme playground equipment that are Yankee themed. So it'll be like you could slide down um, a Yankee-themed uh, slide. There's going to be a sort of a world six-foot-high replica World Series trophy that kids can stand on um, and climb and play hide-and-seek and the like. Um, the parents can actually join them in this field, which is really cool, and also monitor them from afar. And just as much for the parents who still want to keep an eye on the game, there's going to be enough television monitors for them to – keep an eye on the game as well as, you know, keep an eye on their kids. So um, it's one of the really smart, great amenities that they decided to add for next season. Jason, this takes space in a big ballpark, obviously, to do the renovations we're about to see. How is it going to affect the seating as it now stands in the ballpark? Um, well, if I recall, the we just spent time talking about the kids' clubhouse. That's actually going to be located in um, one section of the park in right field where it's I didn't see any data about it affecting the seats there. One of the areas that actually will be affected uh, will actually be in center field. Um, Bohegan Sun has a really large sort of uh, suite there. Mm -hmm. And that actually has on its sides 
It's always had obstructed seating. Uh, as we talked about in the last podcast, the seats over there are of, of obstructed view because you can look on one side and see the full – you can see part of the field. But when you turn your head and you're looking at a wall and you're looking at a TV screen that's supposed to compensate for what you're missing. Uh, what they're doing there is actually they're going to remove all the seats that are along the the suite itself, and they're actually going to expand the roof of the suite, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of that is they're going to create an open party deck um, for all ticketed guests to come in, and they can hang out there um, as long as they obviously have the right ticket. Uh, they can hang out and enjoy the game there for a certain amount of time, I'm assuming. I know there's one area where you're kind of concerned about the renovations, and that is relative to the uh, what I always thought of as kind of the monument area in center field. There's a concern yes, now that nobody will be able to see that. Unpack that for us, if you will, Jason. Well, that's the one thing that's sort of a concern um, here. It's that while the Yankees have actually addressed some of the concerns about you know making it fa- uh, family friendly and expanding more social decks, Monument Park, as you alluded to, um, has been – it's a great staple of Yankee history. Oh, it's yeah. Where you're able – wherever you're sitting, you can always see it. When they built the stadium, it was taken away from sort of the larger view. And unfortunately, in this case, that still hasn't really been addressed. Um, I checked out a few – fan blogs and some other news um, outlets before coming onto the show. And they're still really concerned about that because that's one of the really strong quirks about the previous stadium that people loved, no matter who was, you know, no matter who was playing at the game, no matter how the team was performing, you would always see that history right there. It remains to be seen how that's going to be addressed going forward. That might take some even more significant renovations that the team hasn't decided upon right now, that might take some time, and that's going to take a lot of decision-making up by Yankee Brass. We want to wish you well and continued success with all of your writing. You've taken on some new assignments. A hearty congratulations to you, Jason, and uh, keep having fun in uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, Bill, thanks so much for having me. It's always great to be back. Jason Klingscales, our guest. Stand by. We'll be coming back with more of Stadiums USA, and it comes your way right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. The Raiders appear poised to move to Las Vegas. But is it signed, sealed, and delivered? Well, we're going to find out just exactly how signed, sealed, and delivered it is. And what about situations in Arlington, San Diego, the Detroit area with the Pistons, and also uh, some other things that are going on. We want to touch base and find out about them. And if there's a guy who probably has an interesting look at it, it's Neil DeMoss of the Field of Schemes and we have 
have him back once again. Neil, as always, a pleasure. Let's dig into the Las Vegas situation, which sounded, when the legislature gave their approval, that sounded like almost a done deal. What's the real situation here? Right. I mean, you offer somebody $750 million and you figure that they're probably not going to turn it down, right? (laughs) Yeah. The initial question was, okay, now that the money's approved, sure, Mark Davis and Sheldon Adelson are not going to turn that down, right? Mm -hmm. But is the NFL going to approve it, right? Which is the same thing that we didn't know when the Rams were moving to Los Angeles. How is that vote going to break down? Because you basically have 32 rich guys who are going to make the decision based on who their friends in the room are, what they think is going to make them more money. I mean, it's it's not something that you can determine just based on rational economic theory. But that now we've had this sort of breakdown of the partnership between Adelson and Mark Davis, where Adelson is saying, well, I don't know. Sure, we're being offered $750 million, but if I can't agree to a deal of you know what the Raiders are going to pay me or share with me in terms of revenues or whatever on this stadium, maybe I'll just walk away from it, which seems kind of nuts because you would think that they would have worked all this out before going to the Nevada legislature and asking for $750 million. But either they figured, well, we'll just work that out when it comes to it, or maybe this whole thing was mostly a ploy by Adelson to try to block the legislature from using the money for, you know, a convention center. Maybe there's you know some other plan that he has. It, there are so many different sides to this that it's like trying to follow a Game of Thrones episode to figure out, you know, who's on which side. All of us know next week that we'll probably be headed to the polls to vote in the upcoming election. But on the ballot in Arlington, Texas and San Diego, there is another issue, stadium issues here. And let's take a look at them. What I'm hearing, razor thin margins on this stuff. It's going to be very tight. Does the deal pass either in Arlington or in San Diego? Well, in Arlington is is definitely, you know, incredible tight and the polls depend on who's doing the polling, you know, which makes sense, right? Depending on how you word something, Mm -hmm. um, you can get slightly different results. Uh, It looks like it's either going to be a narrow victory or narrow loss for that, which is a little bit remarkable given that Arlington has passed uh, a couple of uh, stadium funding bills previously by pretty generous margins. And it shows you that, you know, if you do come back 20 years after getting your previous stadium and say, hey, we'd like another new stadium because the other one doesn't have air conditioning, <laughs> yeah. you know, there there is a point at which the, the populace is not going to just say, oh, sure, whatever. But it's the, the thing that makes me think that it's more likely to pass is that the pro side has tons of money from the Rangers and is outspending the opposition by, I think, a thousand to one or something like that, mm. which usually means that they're going to be able to just, you know, flood the airways with ads and at least tip things over to uh, the point where they get more than 50%, even if it's not a dramatic victory that doesn't matter to them, right? And they're getting $500 million out of this if they win. So, if they have to spend another million or two million or ten million on the advertising, mm-hmm. what difference does it make to them, right? You know, they just take that out of uh, out of what they get as a check towards the stadium. 
San Diego, I think we can predict that it's going to fail. Um, I think the question is whether it fails to get a two-thirds majority, which is certain, or it fails to get a simple majority, which is probably likely at this point. You know, if they get 50%, then maybe they can say, well, you know, the populace wants us to do something, so we're going to go back and try to renegotiate something that doesn't require two-thirds approval. Um, given the way the initiative process works in California, I can't, and the amount of money that they want, I can't see them coming up with a way of getting all that money without getting a two-thirds approval of voters. But regardless of what happens, the Chargers are probably going to be back at least immediately after the election, trying to see what else they can work out. Neil, here's a very interesting story that literally made my jaw drop when I heard this. I was one of the first people to broadcast out of the palace in Auburn Hills when it was built, and it is still one of the strongest stadium memories that I've ever had going in there. So it really strikes me as unbelievable that the Pistons are looking at moving out of there and perhaps moving into the new Red Wings arena, which is being built right now on the near north side of Detroit as part of a larger project going on there. How serious is this discussion? Yeah, this is sort of what the world is like now for those of us who were following in the 90s, right? Oh, yeah. All these places that we thought of, we still think of as the new arena, are suddenly being seen as as obsolete because they're not as new as the next new, the, the newer arena. Um, I don't think we know how close it is. What we know that they that the owner of the Pistons is engaged in, engaged in serious talks with Mike Gillett, the owner of the Red Wings. Um, the question is going to be whether they can arrive at a figure right for revenue sharing for what they pay in rent for all the you know all the actual numbers that is going to be more worthwhile to the Pistons than staying uh, in Auburn Hills, and it's going to be a complex calculus to decide whether that's you know what makes it worth their while for them as well, because they have to think not just what are we making at Auburn Hills, but how would we do in Auburn Hills once the new arena opens, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this thing that you, you know, in cities that are not New York and Los Angeles, and even even in those cities to some degree, um, you know, you run into arena glut really quickly where if you've got a couple of arenas and they're fighting each other for the same concert acts, um, you know, it makes it really hard to make money because you have to offer a deal to the, the artists to say, hey, come here instead of to the place across town. Yeah. Um, the business owner may be thinking, hey, you know, rather than have to compete with this newer place, maybe we can, you know, buy into it in some way. And then I don't know what you do with the palace then. Uh, you know, it's not really viable as just a concert facility with no pro sports teams. Well, Neil, it's always a pleasure to visit, and we certainly covered a lot of ground. I want to thank you for joining us as always, and let's refer everybody to the Field of Schemes website where you can keep an eye on all the latest developments, fieldofschemes.com. Neil, as always, thanks for the visit. My pleasure. Talk soon. Stand by. Now we're going to talk shop. That is next, coming your way right here on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. 
They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. It's time to talk shop once again, and this week we welcome in Stadiums USA executive producer Jeff Schmidt. We remind you, Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Check it out at stadiumsusa.com. All right, Jeff, next week is a big week in the elections, and there's a lot on the line. Most of the focus, of course, is on the presidential race nationally. But in a couple of communities, stadium proposals are on the ballot. Arlington, Texas, San Diego. Let's get a little deeper into the Arlington, Texas situation. Comments this week breaking late by the Arlington, Texas mayor. Those are not helping the cause, to say the least, for a new dome stadium with the Rangers. What's the story? Well, Bill, you can file this one under, be careful what you say. During a meeting with prominent business leaders in Arlington, Mayor Jeff Williams called opponents of the proposed $1 billion dome stadium for the Rangers, quote, angry and misdirected. How do we know he made these comments? Well, someone had a tape recorder at the business meeting and was secretly recording the discussion. Williams said, quote, a lot of these folks don't have the facts right. Either that or they do not have the intelligence oh. there to be able to translate that we're investing money into an entertainment district to make money. End quote. The entertainment district, uh, I think the mayor's referencing, is the project that will surround the Rangers ballpark that is uh, scheduled to have shops and retail, etc. The group opposing the stadium project, whose the comments were directed towards, known as Save Our Stadium, released a written statement saying that they were appalled the mayor would try and characterize them in such a negative manner. Voters are going to decide whether to extend a half-cent sales tax, a 2% hotel occupancy tax, and a 5% car rental tax that will fund half of that $1 billion retractable roof stadium. Interesting, Bill, you drive through some of the residential streets in Arlington, and the stadium signs outnumber the political candidate signs on the lawns. So wow. Here is a shocker, Jeff. The Big Ten making an announcement this week that does have stadium implications. They're going to alter their football schedules going forward. Friday nights, of course, have always been off-limit for the most part in college football. And they have vowed not to go head-to-head with the nation's high school football programs. That is over. The Big Ten is jumping in. What's the story? Well, beginning in 2017, the conference will play a limited number of Friday night games in the months of September and October. Now, not every school is agreeing to participate. Universities with some of the bigger stadiums, Penn State and Ohio State, say they will not be hosting uh, Friday games. Michigan has declined to participate. Of course, television is driving the boat here. High schools, as you mentioned, are not happy. Some universities have even expressed concerns about how it can affect recruiting. Mm -hmm. And from a fan and stadium perspective, what's it going to be like traveling for Friday evening games? It throws a major wrench in this, but Bill, you and I talked before taping. We know what drives this. It's television, despite (laughs) every angle seem 
like the wrong angle, TV drives the boat. Let's take some time to rewind and look at significant stadium and ballpark events. What do you have for us this week in stadium history? Well, Bill, this week, 1964, Philadelphia voters approved $25 bucks to fund a new sports stadium, which would eventually open in 1971 and would be known as Veterans Stadium. Of course, that's the multi-purpose home of the Phillies and Eagles. Mm-hmm. This week, 1975, the Summit in Houston opens in the Rockets' first home game at their new arena. They beat the Milwaukee Bucks. This week, 1984, the L.A. Sports Arena is the site for the Clippers' first-ever home game in L.A. And this week in 1990, the first NBA game at the Target Center in Minneapolis as the Timberwolves beat the Mavericks. Bill, you got an early early look at that uh, arena, didn't you? Yeah, they were just finishing it. I was up for a job in Minnesota with the Timberwolves at the time. It is a direct knockoff of the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. The actual pie slice approach to the seating that they used there was identical. Well, very good, Jeff. Coming up, his voice echoes through the rafters at Bridgestone Arena in Music City. Next, we meet the public address announcer for the Nashville Predators, Paul McCann. That's right here on SB Nation Radio. If you have the opportunity to visit the beautiful Bridgestone Arena in Nashville and enjoy Nashville Predators hockey, you will hear the powerful and entertaining voice of Paul McCann. He has a natural sense of entertainment about him, which gives the public address performance in that building a unique signature. Paul, congratulations. Uh, You've really developed quite a following down there. Tell us all about it. Well, um, you know, it's very funny. Uh, This is my ninth season doing the public address for uh, for the Nashville Predators. And um, being in what is always referred to as a non-traditional market, part of the the charge that you get is not only to entertain, but to also educate and, you know, bring the market along. And um, when I first took over the mic, we were kind of still announcing icings and, and offsides and things like that. And we were kind of six, seven seasons in, and it was time to take a step away from that. The guys that preceded me did a, you know, did a wonderful job. I will say, I think I'm the first one in this position that that has just been an absolute out-and-out hockey nut. Um, I grew up with the game in uh, in, in Philadelphia, um, grew up uh, listening to the Flyers, cut school to go see the uh, Flyers uh, parade in in 76 i mean you know the whole nine yards so um uh, but i've uh, done radio and nightclub work for years you know kind of got out of it when i uh, decided to have a have a family and, and and get married and settle down a little bit you know started to get back into it in radio again and uh the opportunity came up to audition for the predators and um i auditioned for them and and you know the, the rest as they say is some semblance of history paul growing up in the philadelphia area that means that you were certainly 
exposed to some great broadcasters. Gene Hart, of course, handled hockey there for many years. Also, I would have to believe that you ran into Dave Zinkoff, the great public address announcer for the Philadelphia 76ers, and what a character. If oh ever was. Tell yeah. us about how these people influenced your career. Well, you know, it, it is funny because uh, I, I went to a 76ers game when I was probably six or seven years old with my father and my brothers. And um, I had really forgotten about this story until I got the Predators job. Anyone that has heard Dave Zinkoff call a game, very, very unique style. Oh, yeah. Apparently, I spent probably the next month driving my entire family up the wall imitating him. Um, so trying to imagine a, you know, a seven-year-old kid running around imitating that, that very very distinctive nasal Billy Cunningham, you know, I mean, you know, that was, uh, that, that's kind of where I first got the bug, I guess. And, uh, I caught the hockey bug by uh, the Flyers coming into town in the 66-67 the season and, you know, listening to Gene Hart and Don Earl um, call the games and, and literally teach the Philadelphia area, what the National Hockey League was about and what the NHL was about, you know, big influences on me to the point where uh, my closing on every uh, every broadcaster, every uh, every show at the uh, at the arena, I always use Gene Hart's closing, which was good night and good hockey. And that's just my nod to the man that I learned and never met the man, but I learned a whole bunch of hockey from him. Tell us about the strategy and approach that you use and why it is hooked so strongly with Nashville fans. You're not a native of the area, and yet they have embraced you as one of their own, and really even above and beyond that. How has that happened? It, it is funny. The Predator fans uh, are, you know, th they're just fantastic. Uh, I mean, and these are, you know, just deeply passionate about the game. And that's one of the things that is so... A lot of people are so surprised at about Nashville is that there is a, a really deeply passionate, knowledgeable fan base here. And, you know, the joke back in 98, 99 in the first season, um, you know, going back to, you know, the old Al Michaels line of don't even know a blues line, a blue line from a clothesline. <laughs> and, and, and in some respects, that was the case in Nashville. But this has become a, a very, very intelligent fan base very, very quickly. And my strategy is to just, I, I think everybody in there knows I'm, I'm a fan too. I've been a long time. See, I'm a charter season ticket holder for for the Nashville Predators since day one. You know, and it's even funnier is that some of the folks that we used to sit in the same section. I mean, we still remain friendly. We still talk, and not only that, we've kind of integrated a radio show with that as well. I host a weekly radio show that uh, myself and my wife own called Slapshot Radio. I've had the blessing to work with one of the most. Uh, knowledgeable and, and best broadcasters out there, you know, right now. And that's Pete Weber, oh, sure. uh, who is who is the voice of the Nashville Predators, just a encyclopedic sports mind. And we've been doing it together for six years now, and it's just been a, an absolute joy. So the, I guess the, the base kind of gets to hear me not only on the on the PA, but also with the radio show. It, it really is a nice synergy that works very, very well together. Paul, thank you for the visit. An awful lot of fun. A hearty congratulations on nine years at the microphone. It's fantastic. We wish you another 90 
Oh, God bless you. Your mouth to God's ears, Bill. Is- oh, yeah. A, a tip of the hat to you and good hockey, too, Paul, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind me stealing your line. Not, ju- not at all. Hey, I just stole this- it off of Gene. <laughs> yeah, just this once. I promise I won't use it again. Paul McCann, our guest, very talented, gifted, and fun announcer for the Nashville Predators. And if you head to the beautiful Bridgestone Arena, that's the voice that you will be hearing. And as I say, I think you'll be thoroughly entertained. That's our program for this week. Join us again next week for Stadiums USA on Blog Talk Radio.